hindsight 2020 biggest mistake was not doing this at 22 years old. That's my biggest mistake. So to young people who are looking to chase this, chase this, you know, and, and chase their dreams, whether it's comic books, whatever it is, is chase it with tenacity because you don't have all the time in the world. For many of us as a kid, Coming through a comic book could transport us to other worlds. Flying through the universe at the speed of light. Watching immortal enemies battling to the death. And some of us never grew out of it. Welcome to the Under the Mask Podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes. Not just superheroes, aliens, horror, thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics from the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation and now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process if you're a fan of comic books a total process junkie or just looking for more insight into launching your own book you're in the right place this is the under the mask podcast and this is bill cologne under the mask podcast episode 13 you know if you're listening to this podcast you probably have dreams and aspirations to get your comic book on shelves at comic book stores nationwide. My guest today was lucky enough to do just that. In this episode, we'll find out how. My guest this week is a comic book writer and publisher whose latest work, The Agency, is live on Kickstarter through June 27th. You can check it out by going to kickstarter.com and typing in The Agency 6, or you can just click the handy link in the show notes below. I'd like to warmly introduce Ruben Romero. Ruben, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Nah, thank you for having me, man. Uh, you know, I've been looking forward to it, Bill. Uh, I, I love the name of the show, and it just resonated with me when I saw it. So I appreciate, you know, you having me on. Well, uh, like I ask almost everyone who comes on the show, tell us a little bit about your story, who you are, and how you got to be here today. Um, okay, so the agency is, uh, the elevator pitch is... Harry Potter meets Mission Impossible minus the wands. So we have magic and espionage clashing head to head, and it all takes place in an organization called the International Agency of Magic. And our A-team, so to speak, uh, at the beginning of our book is tasked with a new mage, 15-year-old boy named Riley Dean. And for various reasons, he's a very special mage. And uh, both sides, good and bad, both kind of uh, want to get their hands on him. So that's, you know, the the introduction to, to that world. And then we start to slowly be led into it through a magical terrorist attack. And we start to realize, okay, this organization deals with uh, magical crimes, magical terrorism, serial killers, so on and so forth. So kind of like the FBI or the CIA, but for the magical world. And is the agency your first published work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we actually published uh, in 2014, issue one, and very quickly turned around and published issue two that same year. And then we followed up in 2015 with issues three, four, and five. 
since then, I've created. I was I was uh, hired to uh, adapt a screenplay uh, for a movie called Pray for Angels uh, that is currently being workshopped right now, uh, and we turned that into a five issue series, and it tells the whole story. And that was that was a lot of fun. And then after that, I went and started working on a couple of different books uh, and some things stuck and some things didn't. Uh, I was able to launch Three Swords, which is my retelling of the Three Musketeers story with Bob Sally, who uh, does Salvagers and uh, Shelter Division and Broken Gargoyles. Uh, he's with SourcePoint Press. I did that with him. And uh, and we did that through Kickstarter. And then I just recently released In Fairy Number 1 with Casey Bowker, who is a good friend of mine who I met at New York Comic Con in 2014. Uh, and that's kind of a, a monster hunting crime thriller ode to all things Buffy the Vampire Slayer type of situation that we kind of cooked up and we're actually getting ready to uh, to put that out and ferry number two out into Kickstarter probably in the next few months are they like three or four months uh, what was the initial inspiration for the agency that got you started writing comics Initially, I transitioned from doing music to to screenplay writing just on a goof. I had a friend of mine tell me about a script writing contest on Amazon, and I had been kicking around an idea for a stoner comedy meets a George A. Romero zombie film. Uh, so I had cooked up a, a movie called Highly Contagious, where it takes a group of, of stoners uh, and puts them in the middle of the of the zombie apocalypse. And we just we 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 come to find out through through their uh, trials and tribulations uh, just how uh, efficient and uh, and effective stoners can be, uh, even if they do get high. Uh, and it was funny, and it was like it was you know it got a lot of uh, a lot of play and a lot of comments on uh, on the contest. Eventually, we didn't win, but that left me with the writing bug. And I had just gotten back into comic books with The Walking Dead. Uh, Robert Kirkman had hooked me and I was just reading month in, month out. And I I wanted to, to create something and write something. And my best friend, uh, Roger Cabrera, uh, who lived with me, my, he was my roommate at the time, was like, why don't we do a comic book? And I was like, all right, well, what are we going to make a comic book about? And we just sat there and kind of tossed around ideas. And he's like, have you ever heard of a mage? And I was like, no, what is that? And he broke me down on what a mage was. And I was like, okay. And so we started building the concept and I immediately thought, what would, what would the real world be like if magic was real and known about just an everyday common thing? And I immediately thought, of course, people would use it to their advantage, weapons, uh, thievery, uh, just the most awful things, because just as we're capable of being really good, we can also be really bad. Uh, and we see that in, in the everyday world. So I thought, well, we would need something to police that. We would need something to kind of control the bad side. So we, you know, got together, created the International Agency of Magic, and, and that's where it was born. And, and honestly, I just really love Harry Potter. And Harry po after, after Potter left uh, the theaters, and I had read the books most multiple times, it just kind of like left a hole in my heart. And I was just like, well, I want to, I want to do something like that. I want to tell a story like that about, you know, the kid and all of us who's, who gets involved in a, in a way bigger adventure than we were ever ready for. So that's where the agency was born. Yeah. It's nice to find a way to go from being a fan to actually writing something. A lot of people go through that. Right. Yeah. It's definitely something that by far, I'm not an expert. And, but honestly, I've been honing my craft and, and trying to perfect my storytelling since 2014. Honestly, coming back to the agency and doing issue six after taking so much time away from the world has been really refreshing. I've also gotten the opportunity to bring on a new artist whose name is Sylvester Aguilar, who's doing an incredible job. Uh, the look and feel of the book reminds me of everything I loved about, you know, the early 90s in comics and throughout the 90s. It's just, it just kind of 
almost on that line of animation series, but still feels comic booky or looks comic booky. He just brings a dynamic to that art that the, to the agency that you know we don't we don't see in issues one through five. We we have a different take. Uh, Eric Coda, who who did issues one through five, is more cinematic. Um, he does a lot of storyboarding. He did the storyboarding for Daredevil and Jessica Jones on the Netflix shows, um, and he's more. He just he just did a, a piece for us for the Kickstarter. It's it's almost like a painting. So he has a very unique way of doing comic books. So it's 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 really awesome to be able to do to be able to kind of merge these worlds now. And even though we have a different look and feel, it's still the agency and one uh, that 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 I built in one through five. But it just you know looks different. Uh, and I think that that's good for you know coming back, so to speak. And how did you go about finding your art team? Um, well. Sylvester, I've known for a long time. I had to think about that for a while because I was like, wow, how did I meet Sylvester? And I was thinking, did I meet him on DeviantArt? And no, I did not meet him on any sort of DeviantArt. He's actually a friend of a friend. My ex-wife, who is also on the, uh, was one of the, the creators of the book in the first volume, she was friends with Sylvester and uh, we met. And back then when we first started the book, he was going to be the original artist, but because of life and time and what we the, the way that we wanted to do things and push, he just didn't have the time to draw the book. Uh, so we went a different route. That route didn't work out. And then we ended up finding Eric and Eric was a blessing. I mean, issues one through five are beautiful. They are almost storyboard-like in, in the way that he does things. The action sequences are really smooth. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, especially in comic book reading, with fight sequences, you can kind of get lost in the panels and what is what and who's doing what, but he has a really clear and dynamic way of, of, of kind of punctuating and accentuating those, uh, th- those, those fights and those moments. So it, it was really, you know, it was, it was really awesome. It was really awesome to create those first five issues with him. And, uh, and our colorist right now, now, uh, Avery Ferdinand, which in the first five issues was Ross Hughes. Uh, we also have a new colorist. Ross Hughes uh, did a lot of work for DC and things like that. And just because of the way things were going and, and things like that, I couldn't bring Ross back. But I did hook up with Avery Ferdinand, who did an amazing job on Inferi Number 1. If you've seen that book, it's just a great job. He does these. He does a really great job at, at, at keeping that dark tone in a world where we're surrounded by monsters and, and, and we're hunting monsters. You know, not, not everything is meant to be bright and poppy and but sometimes things can get a little muddy uh, and he does a really great job again at, at, at his craft uh, so I thought why not bring him onto the agency uh, it kind of fits that tone uh, let's see what he can do with it and I sent him a few pieces and he just blew me away and Avery and like I said and Avery I met in uh, through Facebook I believe if I'm not mistaken so what is your process for writing an issue of the agency uh, you know, I come from a school of thought that everything is, is, is based on, on story, you know? Uh, so to me, I, I, I say, okay, what, what do I want to get across in this issue? What, what, what is going to resonate? What is important? And what do I keep hidden behind the veil? What questions do I leave unanswered? And, and where do I plant seeds for, for other turns? Uh, so to me, that is like the first thing. Uh, and then I, I say, okay, who, who am I incorporating in this issue? And why do they matter to this specific story? And then the things that I'm about to take this reader through. Uh, and so in turn with the agency, I've got a large cast. Uh, I've got a, a, a team of basically all A-listers, right? If, we, if, if they would all be main cast, if this was a TV series, right? They'd be series regulars. Then I have about four or five rotating characters that come in at a, out of the story. Uh, and as this issue, in this issue, I add three more to that um, who become pretty much 
co co players in the whole main line of the story. So again, I have to kind of pick and choose who's who's important, who has what to say, and what they bring to the story. Uh, and I let that inform me. And then I and then I start to break down dialogue. Um, how does this person act? What are their mannerisms? You know, how would they go about you know saying these things? Does this person would this person say this at this moment in time, or would they keep a secret? Uh, that's another thing. I deal with a bunch of spies, so it's it's hard for me to you know kind of kind of give everything away to satisfy the reader, but at the same time, hold things back that are going to become relevant. Uh, because there are things that we don't know about Victoria. There are things we don't know about Riley. Uh, there's things that we don't know about Damien. So it's like all of these things are going to play a certain part in the story. And the more that I tell you, um, the less cards I have to turn down the line. So I try to, I try to make sure that I, I, I give you enough backstory to where you, you stay intrigued and enough mainline story to where you want to see more. Yeah, it's always tough balancing leaving an air of mystery for the reader, but also giving the reader enough information that they know what's going on. Right. And and that's that's always the tricky part, you know, but I, I try to walk the line and, um, you know, all I can say is, you know, back the Kickstarter and read the book and you'll and you'll see what I'm talking about. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of those things where for me, it's story. It, it all starts with story. What story do I want to tell? What were your biggest obstacles or challenges that you had to overcome making the agency? That's a good one. Um, well, finances, number one, you know, making comic books aren't cheap. And we set a certain bar for ourselves when we set out to do this that, you know, I wanted to be able to put my comic book on, you know, into a comic book store, take it in there, put it next to a Marvel or a DC book or an image book or a Dark Horse book and not be able to tell the difference. And that for me was important. So we invested a lot. So financially, that was one of the biggest obstacles was, was trying to gather the money to, to put together that first volume um, and then to go and turn around and make a footprint in the indie community, in the comic book convention community to where it becomes relevant and it becomes something that people are like, oh, look, there's the agency. And again, still light years away from that. But in those first two and a half, three years where we were heavy in that circuit, that was the, always the bar. It was let's make a splash. And that was one of the things that got us our diamond distribution was the banners that we would do and the booths that we, we would lay out. Uh, we were at New York Comic Con our first year and we were approached by a diamond distributor di- distributor uh, rep. And she was like, she was like, is this the, the banner art? Is this what's in the book? And we broke out the volume. We showed it to her. We said, look, she was like, this is exactly what we look for when it comes to indie creators. Um, we'd love to, to get the book in. And that's how we got issues one, two, and then eventually the volume out into comic book stores um, in early, uh, late 2015, early 2000. 2016. Uh, so it, it's been a journey and there's been a lot of ab- obstacles. You know, we took, I took on Think I Like Productions, uh, which was a whole imprint label. We took on more creators, not just myself and my creative team and my books, but just other people and other, and other creators. And that didn't work out. You know, we hit a wall there. Like I mentioned, I got a divorce. There was a break in between even all of my creative uh, endeavors. Uh, so there's been, there's been plenty of obstacles. You know, there was a book that I was working on with Clara Meath, uh, who is an exceptional artist. I mean, she is, I mean, you, we're going to be hearing her name. I, I, I promise that uh, for a long time, uh, just as long as she keeps working in the indie world uh, and gets her recognition. Uh, we were doing a book called The Throwaways and, and you know, I just fell apart emotionally, mentally uh, from, you know, going through a lot. My mom passed away. I got a divorce. I was, you know, my company was crumbling. You know, all these things were happening. So I took a break. I, st- I stepped back. 
and then that gave me a new appreciation and I rebuilt myself and, and kind of said, okay. And, uh, and three swords was my first endeavor back. And then I had another kind of setback in my family. Uh, and then I've got, you know, I just came back with Inferi and now I'm here with the agency number six. So there's been a lot of ups and downs, but one thing that, that, that one thing that has remained constant in my life has been my passion for creating, for writing, uh, and most of all for comics. Did crowdfunding help mitigate your financial obstacles? Um, for the most part, I, I've only had three swords and, and in fairy as, as kind of, uh, bars and they were both fairly low kickstarters. I had, or, you know, me and my partners had already invested a certain amount of money. We weren't looking to make our money back. We, we just wanted to get the book out there. So right now, I think it's been about 50-50, if not, you know, probably less, you know, probably less, less positive than that. But I want to stay positive. But, uh, but it just the truth of the matter is, is that I think that in the beginning, unless you have a very large following or you're putting out something that just has these kick-ass rewards, really awesome, you know, and everything is just clicking and you, and you, and you fund for like this large amount or overfund for a large amount. You know, I don't know if anybody's making money off of Kickstarters. Like I know, I know a lot of guys that, that, that fund and fund an overfund and a lot of them between the rewards, the shipping and getting it out, you know, they're breaking even because they're investing just as much as they're getting. I think that crowdfunding helps in the sense where it can help you alleviate costs after the fact if you're if you're lucky, you know, and you manage and you mitigate your costs. And it can also help propel your audience to a whole new level. Because if you get a hundred backers on your first one and then on your second one you get three hundred and you continue to build that email list and you continue to get people coming back, then I believe that once down the line once you get to a certain issue or a certain volume of a book or whatever it is that you're doing, then yeah, if you've been smart about your money and you've been business savvy, then yes, I do believe Kickstarter can probably alleviate or if not replenish any and all costs that you, that you, that you take on in the beginning as an initial investment for putting out your project. Yeah, I, I believe so. I believe that the, the further I do, the more that I do. Uh, yeah, eventually it would, it would the, the Kickstarter would end up putting money back in my pocket as the writer not just paying back the artist, the colorist, the shipping, the rewards, and then saying, okay, well, I've got a finished product. And again, there is your return as well, because now you have a finished product. So now you go out there, you print it up, you go to the conventions, you promote online and you start making your money back. So it's, it's kind of an amalgamation of all of those things. It's a, it's a weird morph of all of that. Um, some people are just more business savvy than others. Uh, and I still, and I have light years to learn about that as well. Yeah. I think one of the myths about Kickstarter that's very prevalent is is that people are just raking in money. Um, I just had a, a friend of mine who raised $10,000 on Kickstarter. And wow. so a lot of people will look at it and say, oh, you raised $10,000. You know, how are you going and saying you need to kickstart the next one? But the $10,000, it gets reinvested into either that book or more books or for a lot of times stretch goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, um, just to use myself as an example, $4,000 goal, I'm not going to see a dollar. I'm not like my, my artist, Sylvester, we have, you know, like I said, we have a long years of relationship and friendship and he took this risk on for me. And over the course of about seven, eight months in the time that he had, he drew the book. Right. So now we're, so now we're here. So I got to pay him. 
and then I got to pay the colorist and then I got to ship and I got to print rewards and I got to do all these things. I tallied it down to a T, including the Kickstarter fee. I'm not seeing a dollar. The only thing I'm doing is putting my book out there. Now, once I have this book, like I said, now I can print it up. Once conventions <laughs> start again, hopefully um, I can open an online store. I can put it, you know, I can put another issue on Comixology or through another, I might be, you know, going somewhere else with the digital realm. Um, but, you know, either way, I've got a finished product now and I didn't see a dollar out of it. And I eventually, yes, when people start ordering the book and digital sales come in, yeah, I might see a couple hundred bucks here and there. Again, that's going to turn around and get reinvested into going into issue seven and eight and so on and so forth. And again, I'm not really looking to make money on Kickstarter. What I want to do is build my audience. I want people to come on this adventure with me. I want people to read the book. I want people, I want, I want to hear feedback and, and, and I want to continue to put out comic books. And eventually, you know, if, if I do make a little bit of money, that's going to be the best. That's going to feel great. And if my property, you know, gets picked up or I get, you know, I get lucky and somebody finds me in a comic book store and they want to make a show. Well, then that's really what the end game is about. I'm not shooting for that, but at the end of the day, that's where, that's where the real money's at. I mean, at the end of the day, or if I get picked up to write for Marvel or DC, or I pitch a book to image, you know, it's just whatever. It's these little small miles, stones, goals, dreams that I have, but being a millionaire off of comic books, that's not one of them. Making thousands of dollars off Kickstarter off of a comic book. I mean, I doubt it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know anybody that's raking in a ton of money. Uh, if anything, we're doing it for the passion and the love. And so that we can continue to share our stories and hopefully crossing our fingers, put a little money in our pocket, alleviate some of the costs. Go ahead and tell us about uh, Diamond Distribution. What's it like to distribute your books with Diamond and see them in the comic book shops? Uh, that was that was an you know a, a crazy experience. Number one, we had we had no idea what it entailed, you know, and and what it was going to take. The craziest part about it was obviously, yeah, you get put in previews, but if you're an indie, what, you know, we were an indie label, brand new indie label, only one book under us. So the chances of a comic book store coming across that in previews, unless I spent an absurd amount of money to do like a full page ad color and all this stuff. It was going to be crazy. And we didn't have that at the time. So we, we, we settled on our little square and, you know, we, you know, we had a really cool cover and had a really, you know, tight and hitting, you know, little description. And what we did was we would Google zip codes in various states that, that we would look up and, you know, we went through all 50 states. Um, I won't say that we hit every zip code in every state, but we got, we, we really got close. There was four of us doing it. And we called up comic book stores and we said, Hey, we're the writers and creators of Think Alike Productions and the book called The Agency. It's in this month's previews. This is the code. If you give me your email address, I can send you a promo packet. Uh, and if you answer me back, we can send you some flyers and some posters to give out the day that it comes out. And, and we did that. And it was a really cool return. It was really cool to see the book, uh, getting pictures from my friends, you know, locally in Florida and Miami who were going out to the local comic book stores that we had called up there um, and taking pictures of, uh, of agent, the agency number one on the rack and the new releases. Uh, and then eventually to the volume, the trade paperback. That was, that was an amazing experience. And it's pretty funny because sometimes I'll walk into a comic book store and like, I'll go into like all their old boxes, you know, back old issues and stuff like that of just like indie stuff. And I'll find a copy or two and I'll pick them up because I lost <clears throat> the original print run. I had had a few hundred left um, after the whole diamond thing and, and, and the conventions and in 2018, a lightning fire and, uh, and I lost them. So anytime I can find a couple in any comic book stores, I try to pick them up. 
Is issue six the finale for the agency? Uh, what are the future plans for the series? No, actually, the agency number six um, is going to pick up a few months after issue five, and we're going to fill you in on everything that's been going on through kind of a <clears throat> redacted file type of memo, kind of scroll looking thing at the beginning of the issue. And uh, and then we're going to dive in. And issue six, actually, like I said, introduces three new characters. Uh, it opens up the world of not only our agents, because our agents, again, have dealt with mages and and there's, you know, there's sort of rules where you're a conjurer, I'm a healer, you know, you're a staffer, you're a censor. Riley now breaks those rules. And now these three new characters come in and they're kind of like, they're old school, man. Like they're, they're kind of like this ragtag D&D clan from the old world of magic. And they're like from like a different, you know, they've been hiding in this different realm, uh, waiting to be able to meet Riley and, you know, kind of take him on his next journey, on his next few steps, on his next steps. So, no, the issue six is definitely not the finale. Uh, I do have an abridged version where I end it in 12 issues, and then I have one where I can end it in 24 issues. Uh, So, you know, it just depends on how this thing goes, man. You know, today I saw a nice little uptick, so we're almost at the halfway mark with 15 days to go. So that's not, that's not bad, you know? If this thing goes well, then, then hopefully, you know, I can build on top of this audience. Um, like I said, and get these rewards out. And I got, I've got the scripts written. All we just, you know, all I need to see is this thing go forward. And if this thing happens, if it funds, well then, you know, we're going to, you know, we're definitely going to move forward because the agency is, is my baby. It's my first story. Um, and that's one of the major reasons I came back to it because I felt like it, it needed, uh, Riley needed the story of Riley needed to be told. It needed to have an ending. And, uh, and I want, you know, I wanted to see if I can have the opportunity to do that. So here we are. What were the biggest mistakes that you made in your creative career? Okay. So that's probably the easiest one is starting thinking like productions as a imprint, as an indie label. Uh, We knew nothing about the comic book world. We were just enthusiastic and we saw an opportunity where there were other people like us who were trying to do the same thing. And we wanted to kind of help them because we had seen the success that we had seen within the first year and a half. You know, I had pitch meetings at Image with the agency. You know, we got picked up by Diamond. Uh, we had a volume in in a year and a half, almost, you know, in little, in, in little under two years. So it was something that we felt like, wow, maybe we can bring something to that game. You know, maybe we can do something for other creators. And then it became about managing time and managing creators and getting their books and sending them press packets and logos. And, you know, are you going to run my Kickstarter or are, you know, are we going to run this Kickstarter to think alike, or are you guys going to run it? And how much am I getting this and how much, you know, and it just became a business and that strained all relationships. And that was initially a lot of where the source of the downward trend came from because we took on too much too fast. So that's my biggest mistake. Hindsight 2020 biggest mistake was not doing this at 22 years old. That that's that's probably hindsight 2020. That's my biggest mistake. So to young people who are looking to chase this, chase this, you know, and, and chase their dreams, whether it's comic books, whatever it is, is chase it with tenacity because you don't have all the time in the world. But yeah, I think creatively so far is that and bailing on Clara Meath. Uh, even though people will say, oh, well, Ruben, you know, you weren't mentally stay, you know, your health, you were having anxiety and you were dealing with your mom's death and you couldn't wear pro To me, that's no excuse to let down an artist who put in amazing work and did amazing things to for, for, for the book. 
our Kickstarter ran into some trouble and I, and, 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 it, and, and I was already on the verge of, you know, breaking, <laughs> if we're being honest here. And, uh, and it kind of just threw me off and I canceled it and I kind of just backed off and I told her I wasn't, wasn't able to do anything at the moment. And we never really, you know, reconnected. I mean, we've, we've talked since then and I've apologized and she's accepted my apology and she understands what I was going through. But to me, that was a mistake. I should have found a way to suck it up and, and push through and say, Hey, if this doesn't work, we're going to relaunch and we're going to do it this way. Because truly what she created was a, was a masterpiece of art. It's a beautiful book, sci-fi, very eighties nostalgia, you know, very, uh, Amblin, uh, Ambien, uh, Amblin, uh, entertainment, ET type of you know situation, fish out of water. You know, it, it was just very beautiful, and the art that she did was gorgeous. So you know, those two things, taking on too much and and letting down Clara, I think you know those those two things are I feel like are my biggest mistakes as a creator. I see a lot of creators that are doing you know three, four, five series sometimes, and man, I just wonder how they have the time and energy for it uh, because I'm doing my one series. I felt like I was treading water for a long time. Oh yeah, no, and 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 again, the only reason I'm able to do in fairy is because I have a co-creator. I have somebody else. Casey will handle the creating of the Kickstarter. He will math out the rewards, the Kickstarter percentage. He will tell me, hey, we need A, B, and C. Like he does a lot of the work. Plus, he's the co-creator and co-writer. So, you know, we hammer out the story. We I write the script. I send it to him. He does his edits. He gives me his notes. I, t- I do some more edits. I take his notes. I apply my notes, send it back to him. You know, again, you know, rinse, wash, and repeat until we come together on a full issue. And then we send it off to the artist. And then so on and so forth. We, you know, bounce ideas. You know, maybe we should do this with the art chain. But again, it's somebody who else alleviates the pressure. Um, so I can, you know, I can do the agency six now, you know, God willing fund, get the rewards out by where are we in June, get them out by, by the end of July, you know, early August, and then be ready to run in Ferry 2 in October, you know? So, it, you know, so it is, you know, some people can do it, you know, uh, but I, like I like you, I see some people who are doing the one-man band show or the one-woman sh- band show, and they're, they, they've got their hands in multiple series, and I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of work. I don't, you know, plus you're writing, creating, plus shipping, writing, creating, plus shipping, running Kickstarters, you know, it, it just seems like a lot of, you know, constantly on the hamster wheel. But again, that's, that's a, you know, if they're fulfilling and they're, and they're, and they're doing what they're, what they're, what they say they're going to do, then more power to them. You know, that is a work ethic I admire. Hopefully I can get there to where people, you know, trust me enough to say, yeah, Rupin just ran a Kickstarter, but this other story that he's running, you know, a month later, that, that's good too. You know, you know, I would never, I don't think I would ever do it that way, but you know, to each his own. I remember one time at a convention, a creator I hadn't seen came up to me and they said, when do you find time to sleep? Uh, that year, uh, that was last year. And I had done something like 35 conventions that year. The year prior I did 24. I mean, I was just hitting the convention circuit going anywhere that would have me. Right. And I looked at them and I'm just thinking, you know, you're running, I think three, uh, three anthologies that were going on at about the same time. Right. And I just looked and I said, you know, that when I'm on the road, my productivity goes way down because mm-hmm. yeah, I'm so I'm selling books, but I'm not going back to the hotel after eight, eight, 10 hours on my feet, just selling books, giving my pitch to everyone. You know, I'm right. going back to the hotel and I go to sleep. Right. Nobody's writing. I mean, even though I have, I actually got, got yelled at one time because, because of that, I, I got home from New York comic con one night and tried to stay in the living room to write <laughs> and that, that didn't go over so well. Uh, but you know, like I said, sometimes people have like really weird, you know, quirks and, and, 
things like that. And, and I myself, you know, I, I find myself to where uh, I want to build something that I could leave for my son, you know? So it's like the work ethic and tenacity that that takes, well, you know, it takes more than even what I'm doing right now. So it's like, I, you know, I, I just want to, you know, be able to do that. So everybody does things differently. You know, when we were doing conventions, I wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm not going home and thinking of my next idea. You know, I'm thinking of, well, we made, you know, we got to do this and we got to reprint that and we got to go to the next convention. So it's, it becomes, again, it becomes a business. So if you just treat it like, okay, I write, I create, and I put it out in the world or I kickstart it and then, and then I'm off to the next one. Well, some people, you know, and you're not doing conventions and all your stuff is online and you kind of, kind of stay in that bubble. I, then maybe it could be easier, I imagine, because then you're not worrying about having to go to, you know, do the tables and do all that stuff and take up those weekends and those hours that you could be using creating, you know, more of the thing that just kickstarted well or the next thing that's going to kickstart well. What has been the best moment of your creative career so far? Oh, um, when Stan Lee, rest in peace, asked me to sign the volume of the agency for him, um, I went and got in line uh, with a friend who was going to uh, get his autograph. So I was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to give him my comic book, you know, and I'm going to tell him what he means to me and uh, and tell him that if it wasn't for him, I, you know, that comic book wouldn't exist. So I went and we waited in line and we got up to him and I said, Stan, I'm, I'm bringing you this comic because you're you're the reason for it. You know, you're the reason comic books are even around and you're my, insp- you know, you're the inspiration. If it wasn't for, for you, you know, the agency wouldn't exist. And and somebody had to repeat everything in his ear uh, at the time. They were like, you know, they told, hey, you know, he's bringing you the comic as a gift. And, you know, he, he admires you and he thanks you for creating comic books. And it wasn't for you. You know, he would have never, you know, done the, the book, you know. And he's like, oh, you did the book. And I, was, uh, I said, yeah. And he said, you drew it? And I said, no, I, I, I wrote it. And he's like, ah, a writer. And I was like, yep. And he was like, well, did you sign it? And I said, no, sir, I didn't. And he flipped it around and threw a Sharpie at me and said, well, what are you waiting for? You know, I signed it and I gave it to him. And, uh, and that was that. I don't know if he ever read it, probably not, but, or where it ended up, but it was a moment that I'm never going to forget. And in my mind, in my head canon, he took it home and he read it cover to cover and loved it. So, you know, that's that. Uh, So yeah, that's, that's probably that. And, and of course, holding my comic book for the first time, man, getting that first issue in my hand, I'm actually getting emotional thinking about it because I feel like, like it's pretty surreal that I actually even did that. You know, that's on par. You know, those two things, you know, they 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 ring loud and true uh, as a testament to, you know, why I do this, the love I have for, for creating and for writing. I would be interested to track all the people that I've spoken with. And I say probably 50 percent bring up that holding the book the first time is in there. You're actually my uh, first Stanley story that's come up. If you did not have the chance to meet Stanley, everything, every good word, everything that you've heard about him is true. I mean, he's a larger than life character and uh, uh, rest in peace, man. Yeah, man, that was a tough one. What was the best advice you received starting out? I'm going to be real honest with you, man. I never got advice. Um, when we, when I started doing this in 2014, my Facebook does, did not look the way it looks now. My, my feed did not have comic book creators and editors and writers and artists and anchors on it. I did not have uh, Mr. Miyagi, you know. Uh, we learned by trial and error. Oh, that's hot. Don't touch that again. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it was, it's, it's, it, unfortunately, I, I, I never got any advice. Later on, I 
I did have people tell me something that I should have known, which was you're doing too much, you know, or maybe you did too much. So like I said, hindsight. Yeah. You know, eventually when my circle grew and I was able to have friends that were on the same path, doing the same thing that I was doing, uh, people of like minded thought processes, they said, yeah, you know what, maybe maybe the publishing company wasn't the best way to go. Maybe you should have kept focusing on the agency and pushing the agency and then maybe put out another book that you wrote, you know, and just focused on you and your and, you know, your creative side and you and the stories that you wanted to tell and let the indie companies flourish on their own and do whatever they need to do. And if eventually somebody wanted to bring you on to their company, well, then you allow that, you know, or you see what that's about. But no, nobody early on, they, nobody told me anything. The most advice I got early on from the image was from the image pitches. And that was more about not falling in love with what you're seeing immediately and looking for consistencies in faces and art. And yes, everybody has a different style, but there should be consistency. And that was one thing that didn't get us, that didn't land us the image gig was they love, they, you know, everything that, everything we got back was the story's awesome. Love, you know, love the idea. The art just isn't consistent with what we're doing. And the art itself is not consistent. And I think that in the beginning, we were just kind of too chummy, chummy. And this is not to say don't build relationships with your artist, but don't build friendships first to the point where you feel uncomfortable telling somebody, hey, you know what? Victoria looks like this on page six, but she looks like this on page 10. And that doesn't really, that doesn't, that doesn't match. You know that? Yeah, I get it. It's a different angle or whatever, but she just doesn't look, you know? So if things aren't right, you know, you got to be able to speak up. And I think that that eventually was our downfall with our second artist, not Sylvester, who's the original, but our second artist to where we got too close to him and we became friends and we, we had a hard time articulating with him what we wanted. Um, and he was a great artist too. It's just, you know, what, what we wanted wasn't coming out. So again, we had to move on. So again, mistakes that you make, investments that you make continuously until you kind of find the right relationship and you can learn how to navigate those waters. So that's the advice I give to people is, yes, build relationships, make friendships, but also remember it's a business. And if you are paying for it, you have to articulate what it is that you want. Not a lot of advice, a lot of, a lot of hard hits, <laughs> a lot of hard hits in the beginning learning this game. A lot of these artists are hungry and they do want to get their name out there. So they, they, they hitch, you know, they hitch their wagon to the writer, just like the writer's hitching, you know, you're, you're picking the artist for a reason, right? You like what you see, you know, it's tight. So it's like, you're both kind of like, you know, you got that whole symbiote, symbiote, uh, uh, relationship, you know, where it's like, you get to be venom. No, I get to be venom. So it's like, you both live off of each other for a while, you know, and then eventually you, you develop a relationship and you become friends and it's kind of like a give and take relationship and you you got to kind of learn how to navigate those waters. Hey, well, Ruben, I am out of questions for you. The agency is live on Kickstarter right now. It's right going now. through June 27th. Mm -hmm. You can find the agency by going on Kickstarter, typing in the agency number six. It'll pop right up for you. Where else can we find you out there online? You can find me on uh, Instagram as Random Jedi Solo. That's all smashed together, Random Jedi Solo. Um, or you can just look for Ruben Romero. Same thing on Facebook. I've got uh, Ruben Romero, the writer page, and then just my regular Facebook, Ruben Romero. Either or doesn't 
doesn't really matter. Don't be shy. Friend request me. If you got questions about the agency or anything else that I'm doing, if you're an artist that wants to work with a writer, that you might have your idea, but you're not a writer, hit me up. Let's work on it. Let's do something together. And yeah, you know, just find just search Ruben Romero in the social medias and you will find me. Ruben, thank you again so much for coming on and chatting with me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on, brother. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, drop us a line at underthemaskshow at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off. 